right, Daniel. Fun and games today, wasn't it? How's it going? Oh, that was that was good. That was a real United are back afternoon. That's <laughs> right. It's really entertaining. The kind of just bizarre opposition capsition and anger and fury and red cards and penalties and just everything that we love about United being good was in that game. Playing crap as well. Played, yes. played absolute crap. United were terrible. They really looked slow. And it doesn't help that they've got in Vekost and Maguire at either ends of the pitch some really, really slow players. So, But it was just it was just terrible until that five minutes. And we had five minutes of two United goals, three red cards, and absolute <laughs> chaos. <laughs> oh, oh, beautiful. I, I still, I, I know we were playing badly and we do... Ha- have to make the point which i guess we can make here without feeling like people are going to totally laugh at us because we're amongst like-minded like-minded idiots or whatever but they've played a lot of games there really I, I hate i hate i had to go and do a radio thing the day after we lost 7-0 to liverpool and i was asked to explain why what happened happened and obviously i said the main reason was the dreadful behavior by all the united players at the same time but if you're gonna if that's gonna happen then whatever it was, two three nil down after forty after with still forty minutes to play at Anfield is somewhere where where it might when you're on the verge physically and mentally you've just spent and won a trophy and all the rest of it and it's not an excuse because it's still what, what we saw was not right but yeah it is I think we sat that that was a tired performance and we've seen a lot of tired first halves quite a lot in yeah. recent times I would say oh, well I was I was counting it back I think United have played thirteen midweeks in a row. Now, so weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek for 13 weeks. And there's, I mean, I suppose they don't, they get a break now, some of them, but a, a lot of this squad are going to be off on international duty. Fergie, so, we, this is where we need this is, yeah, Fergie exactly. to intervene. Like, did, I, I, I wouldn't, in general, have him telling anything really to Ten Hag unless Ten Hag goes to ask him. But this real discreet problem that we have is one where it should be, a hand on the shoulder of the manager saying, this is how you do it. Well, Ryan Giggs played from when he was 16 to 41, and he played about three international games, didn't he? <laughs> that weren't the really, really big ones. So always found a way of being injured. So yeah, they could. it would be really helpful if a lot of players picked up injuries this week. But many of them won't, and they're going to get two games, and then it's going to be, it's going to be midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend. At least until United are out of the Europa League, which, given the draw, shouldn't be anytime soon, and so they're gonna just—they're just gonna end up playing a lot of games. But- I've been thinking about this, and what surprises me is that in a way that has happened because McLaren's there, because with Ten Hag, like you could say, well, he doesn't actually know what it's like to manage a team through a World Cup in the middle of the right. season because no one does. So number one, there's that—that's an unknown. That's not going to do you any favours, probably. But then also, the Premier League is more physically demanding than being the best team in the Eredivisie. It just is. Where mm-hmm. you're kind of fresh for the Champions League or fresher. I don't know if they have a League Cup in Holland. I don't, but United I don't have been so. the busiest team in world football for the last couple of years, probably. Not so much last season, but the season before that and the season before that. They played loads. It's the same players playing all the time. And sure. then playing through the summers. And now they're the same players that are playing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they should be burning out. That's so then. They're, they're I, well, I don't incredible get amount of games. So if Ten Hag, if this is new to Ten Hag, and McCarran hasn't told him that you have to rotate a bit because Fergie did it, like I think because some of them, 
I just with Bruno in particular, he plays every single game. Didn't he yeah. play Charlton at home in the League Cup, Bruno? Yeah, yeah. Play that one? I know. I can't. I, he played like Reading. He plays. He and did, and Forrest played all of them. Yeah. I get it. He's yeah. the captain. You think you might have a problem without him, but there's got to be enough attacking talent in those teams to at least try a half. Yeah. The first I get half. the sense from what Ten Hag has been talking about recently when it comes to Bruno in in his various pre and post match press conferences that so he trusts him to be his sort of captain captain manager on the pitch. Right. He's the captain. He's he, he keeps talking about how tactically aware he is which is not the first thing I think about when I think about Bruno running all over the place like a headless chicken like he did against Liverpool but but he he really believes in him Ten Hag he really he really understands the game yeah he just like when you hear him talk about football I've probably said this loads of times a club podcast like our two-hour interview whatever with him yeah listen to that it's excellent yeah just he really understands the game and although he plays he plays it in an emotional way because he's an emotional bloke I think but it doesn't mean that he doesn't understand the finer points. He might just choose not to pursue them because he's not that guy. I mean, look, I should I should have a lot of sports science that are looking at, at the zones that you know, they talk about red and amber zones, don't they? And and they're looking at who is vulnerable to injury. So they must have that sports science. It's just it's it doesn't seem to be a lot of rotation. I mean, it was today. Fair, fair enough. I mean, Varane picked up an injury. Doesn't sound like it's too serious. He probably wouldn't. He might not have played anyway because they're trying to manage him through all these games. And Casemiro is obviously suspended. He was going to have this one anyway. So they were kind of forced into some some rotation, which which turned into a very sort of jaded plus disjointed performance. Whenever Casemiro is not there. Yeah, whenever Casemiro is not there. Yeah. You, you it, starts to feel, it starts to feel like United of old, doesn't it? I mean, some it's mm. kind of interesting... I, I don't know what he is exactly. He just feels like a slightly better version of McTominay, but not a million miles his, better. His, we, we, I don't think it's, I, I'm having, I'm not judging him yet because I haven't seen, I haven't seen a lot of him and he hasn't played that much. He, he hasn't played that hasn't much. Had, yeah. He hasn't played a run of games either. And so he's not, or in the same position in the games. So it's, I, I don't want, I don't want to judge him. He scored a nice goal today. Obviously I wasn't yeah. that chuffed that he was part of a midfield getting overrun by Fulham's. But he wasn't yep. the only guy who was. He wasn't the only one who was responsible for that. So I'm not blaming him in any way. And then he scored the winner. So yeah, he looks to me like someone who's quite good in various positions and not outstanding in any of them. Right. So that right. He, he just, he'd be a squad player at best. But yeah. he, he's a squad player who might get more playing time in our squad than in Bayern Munich squad, I suppose. Right. But if you're going to take a game where I mean United are chasing top four, and that's got to be the priority and so the FA Cup is second or third on the list of priorities now for the rest of the season not sure which one one of those if you're going to pick a game in which there would be some rotation it might be this one although it would have been better if it had been Charlton obviously or Burnley or whoever else who played this season or both I mean mean, obviously it's very easy for us to say but like I don't even want to say these ludicrous words had I been picking the team because I'm obviously couldn't be further from 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 picking the team, like, I'm picking my nose. I I think that, like Anders Lindegaard, yeah, yeah. I I there were various games where in my ludicrous conversations with my United message group, where I said I would leave Bruno out of this one and this one. I would have left Bruno out of the Forest home Forest away game or home game, at least one of those Forest games yeah. in the Cup semi. Because how are we not how are we not beating Forest over two legs? Come on, and so that would I don't know. But the problem isn't getting injured either it's fatigue 
sometime later on, even if it's not now. Sure, yeah, it just it builds up. It builds up, and and injuries can uh, a lagging indicator of of players getting into the zones. I mean, if you look at Chelsea and Liverpool this season, they're both really high in the number of minutes injured, missing, and they both played sixty something games last season. So, I do, I do think it it kind of has a knock on effect, or is a lagging indicator of how many minutes you play. Anyway, I mean, it's it, it's all to say that it looked like a very very tired performance and throwing the changes and Harry Maguire taking. 75 seconds to make a pass and you you had quite a low intensity low energy game didn't you so it was funny uh, how the old trafford crowd got really on the back of harry Maguire in the end i, I mean I, I i don't like to hear what's it the point but... what, what is the point not like yeah. if even if you before you like take a moral stance what's the utilitarian point telling harry Maguire that you think he's a prick i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. or you don't think he's good i don't i don't think that people who go and pay can do what they want they go play the game. In my opinion, that's not what you should be doing. He's the captain of United. He's not even a dickhead. Like he's obviously no. someone we poke. He's someone we poke fun at for being a bit of a lummox. And like for me, it was always always been the exhibition fronting up that just it makes me laugh. And that's one of the things I like about football is laughing at the stuff that I see and the taking of the armband when he comes on for the last two seconds when you're seventeen nil up or the wearing just stuff like that. I mean, but Harry Maguire essentially, I reckon, is probably a good guy. He's not. Yeah, he's not. Someone, I mean, he's, he's not. He's not slacking. He might. No. He thinks he's a little bit better than he is. But don't we all? I don't have a beef with Harry Maguire, and I don't see why you would get on the back of the United captain during a game at Old Trafford that you're trying to win. I, I think I, he was probably the the focal point for the general listlessness. It just seemed to be happening very, very slowly. Everything and. Every time Maguire got the ball, you, you had the, this triumvirate of, of at the back of De Gea, Maguire, uh, Lissandro Martinez. Martinez, of course, you can pass it quickly, but especially De Gea and Maguire, neither of them comfortable. And they're trying to do the split centre backs, kick off, and then it ends up going back to De Gea, who lumps it forward because he can't do anything. Or Maguire, who takes ages and ages and ages and then hits a diagonal out of play that that kind of thing it just <laughs> felt like it was happening over and over again so i can kind of understand the frustration but yes i mean i mean the having, thing with maguire, maguire is yeah not the answer i think the thing with maguire is that, and we're part of this that there's a constant content creation taking place in football of people who write about it who talk about it and there's a particular tone to it of people spending literally like their life, lives, days, trying to make memes and jokes and funny observations and raw observations about football. And I feel like the booing of the United captain by United fans in the ground during an FA Cup quarterfinal for more or less nothing is sort of a manifestation of that. That it's made Harry Maguire into this figure. And as I said, like, we're both, I'm part of it. I mean, I won't confess on your behalf, but yeah, like, I, write stuff make like joking about footballers and we I put stuff out there doing that sure. and and I think that that is probably that and I'm not I, I mean obviously everyone who goes makes their own decision and I'm not maybe they weren't swayed by anything that they ever saw or heard who knows but it feels like like that and it's yeah it's I, I, yeah it's not pleasant really yeah I mean he's he seems to just embody this this thing today where United just they were they were whether it's tiredness or lack of invention in midfield, because both of those players are pretty prosaic, it just didn't move very quickly. 
and United created hardly anything in that first half. And Fulham were on top. They had more of the possession. They had better possession. They looked like they were more threatening. And I, I guess it's a factor of all the things we talked about. But it was definitely a, definitely a sense of frustration, which is odd, isn't it? How quickly we become entitled again. You know, you have a bit of success and then we're like, wow, we should smash this lot every week. Progress. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not quite there yet with this team. I am where I was in the second half thinking you've scored too early there. Like there's not a chance that you're going like, to, I, feel, I always feel like it, that now you have to score twice to beat United. So United having more than like more than like whatever it was, like 40 minutes, 35 minutes to go and get another, to go and get one goal against Fulham at home with players on the bench. I never really felt that they weren't going to win. They weren't going to at least yeah. get to extra time of that game, which is progress. For most of the last 10 years, I would not have thought that. I don't know if I was always supremely confident today. Anyway, I, I guess we should talk about the the very entertaining stuff that happened. I mean, like for a start. Before we get there, sorry, before we get there, did you think they should have had a penalty? Did you think they should have had a penalty? For which incident? The Mitrovic and Martinez one. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's that sorted then. Good. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Marco Silva did, but someone oh. should tell him that you've presided. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, cool yeah. with that. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I didn't think I didn't think it was a penalty either. It was a bit of a coming together. Yeah. But every time, like it's the, 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 but it's not just the penalties. Although this itself is annoying. The penalty thing in particular is annoying because we're spending so much time deciding what isn't isn't a penalty, and more than that, now like they go to VAR or the and I've got no idea. Well, even though I'm looking at the footage. I'll be thinking, I don't know what's going to happen now because it's become unpredictable. I think because the extra layer of clear and obvious has become an extra test of subjectivity on top of laws that are already subjective. So you have no yeah, idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and especially with that kind of penalty incident. Yeah. So it, you've no it, idea it what anyone's going to give. But the thing about the penalty issue as well is that the reason why, why is it so important? Because a penalty is a totally disproportionate punishment for almost everything for most of the time, yeah. that, that yields a penalty. Yeah, yeah. It's a basically like, what, 80% chance, I think roughly, I think it's 80% chance to go. You, There are hardly any situations in which a any other chance is 80%. I mean, you have to be inside the six-yard box with the goalkeeper, like, flat on his back for it to be an 80% chance. Like, there's just almost none of them. You'd think so, the, the way and, pundits talk about it, but almost no opportunities are 80% chances. And I don't, I don't, I don't have a very large sample size for this, but I do think people are getting better at taking penalties. And I don't know if it translates in necessarily into in-match penalties if the scoring rate has gone up. But just anecdotally from watching football, it seems a lot like penalty shootouts are going longer more often. Yeah, I don't know. There is a there's a guy who on Twitter whose handle I'm totally forgetting, but all he is and it's called like penalty stats. And that's all he does. He looks at. He's he's done modelling around penalties. He's got like ten thousand penalties that he's built his models around, and and it's not just so it's an eighty percent chance overall, or just slightly lower than that, I think. But also he's modelled. I'll di- I'll dig it out and tweet it out at some point later. He's modelled like what is the chance, depending on where it goes in the goal. So obviously eighty percent is the average, but it's straight down the centre, which actually happens very, very. Uh, infrequently, given how high the percentage of scoring is there, it's fairly high. If it's in the top right and gone, it's like 95% chance and so on and so on. Like Anyway, it's fairly obvious. 
I mean, uh, yeah, that's the the one with like, yeah, exactly taking penalties. If you can put it above about a third up with accuracy, you just should expect it, to score basically yeah. every time because it's unsavable if you can do it. I don't. I, I feel like I'm surprised at the way that people people take penalties. It feels like they're not minimizing the chance to make to get it wrong or get it right, whatever. It feels like if you if you if you could if you're good enough to be a professional footballer, you should be hitting the side netting two thirds of the way up. Yeah, in training the they time. put a little target that's slightly bigger than the ball in the top corner. Most of them be able to hit it. So as you see when they do the crossbar challenges and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, so anyway. the thing with yeah yeah so penalties are just too big, way too big a punish. So what you have to do, I keep is you have to say that you're giving you get a penalty for the denial of a goal scoring opportunity anywhere on the pitch. And otherwise, it's a direct free kick. That would lead to some fun in games, but yeah, it would be a fairer. But, 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 it would be a fairer making, punishment. Yeah, but they're making that decision every time anyway, because yeah. you've got to decide if you're going to send someone off or not. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, we're like, yeah you would. Anyway, well, you may, yeah. So yeah, a dot Wenger at fifa dot <laughs> com is your email address to send your suggestions off there. I don't, I don't think IFAB are looking at the penalties, but yes, it's it's this has always been true. It's it's a much much bigger punishment on, on Williams today. I don't even understand why there was an attempt to gin up any controversy. You can't stick your hand out and punch one off the line. It's always yeah. going to be a penalty. I so. thought Sancho did well there, even he though did. you're kind of willing him to stick it away. It felt like. The opportunity he wasn't quite there at any point until he shot because yeah. the move inside got rid of the man who slid past and then yeah no I thought so, he was at, he was composed in an otherwise pretty pretty average performance for Sancho he spent a lot of his time sort of wandering around looking at his own shoes he uh, hasn't been good he doesn't quite seem all there at the moment yeah. those good those there were those two substitute appearances when he was good yep but. He hasn't had a good start yet since coming back, no, I don't think. No, no, I know. And it is it is a worry because he's too good to be this crap. And I, d- I don't know what the fix is because they send him away to go train in, in Amsterdam for three months and he's not come back any better, really. So it, it is a concern, but he did well there. And then I did find it funny, William afterwards, pointing at his hand and like suggesting that it's, it was against his body when he... F- Full well knows it wasn't against his body, and we're all going to look at the camera for all the footage. <laughs> I mean, I guess you just you just maybe hope it hits something before or whatever. Is there a, is there a way because if that hits something before, his if it hands, hits his it body, it's not a penalty. Yeah, as we saw in the Liverpool Real Madrid game during the week, where it, I can't remember who it was now, his leg then it, then hit his arm and it went to VAR, and they said no penalty, as it should be, as. Lissandro Martinez, the penalty was given against him, against Real Sociedad, which means, you know, there's two extra games. It should never have been a penalty. Anyway, this was direct on his hand. His hand was away from the body. It's clearly, it was going in. Apart from that, it's, it was going to be a penalty and a red card all day long. The ref just got it wrong on the field when he gave a corner for that one. And then Marco Silva and then Mitrovic absolutely losing the run of themselves. Just thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining. Because if also now Marco Silva, how could you bollock Mitrovic for what he did? <laughs> he started it. <laughs> if you were, yeah, I mean, I can see why you'd be annoyed. That I think I think they've got form with that referee. I think I might have seen. I don't want to. I don't want to say something that isn't the case. So I'll, I'll check when we when we go off air. You can cut it out if I'm wrong. But I think Marco Silva has form with that referee. That or that he's denied for them stuff that for them think they should have had. I think right. I think I read that. But even so, 
yeah, I, it's a weird, it feels like a weird place. I mean, I know that they're professionals and they're more driven and full of everything than I could possibly imagine, but it just seemed like a strange place to lose it because there's just stuff going on and it's not, it's not that big a game, is it? I mean, I mean, maybe for them it, it feels like it, but also not that controversial. It's not like, mid- uh, I guess. I guess you're in the middle of a, of a game at Old Trafford. Maybe I'm being an idiot. I don't know. It's just, I feel like he must have, like, it stuff doesn't feel like the most pressurized environment. So I'm right. not measuring it by how much I think he wants it, more that I feel like you see that kind of reaction usually when there's a little bit more pressure than one that up, up in a cup. I don't know. Anyway, in a cup quarter final. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yes, it seemed, it seemed a very, it went from zero to a, 100 miles an hour very very quickly that escalated quickly right yeah like you see yeah i don't know yeah i don't know but it was just but then but mitrovic also what what why was he so angry i don't know i don't it's his first red card for fulham i mean he he seems like a player on the edge but the stats would seem to prove otherwise but yeah marco silva you can't interfere with the referee when that far call i mean that's been really really clear about that one it was always going to be a penalty i don't know why they're so angry they gave it away. I mean, he punched it off the line, right? It's, there's no controversy there. It's not like the City one they got in midweek where it maybe brushed a hair on his arm and while the guy was jumping and then there's some subjectivity about it. So, yeah, Silva's just completely lost the run of himself. himself. Mitrovic, I just, don't, I just don't get it. Like, why does he think manhandling the referee is going to make a difference there? It, yeah. I mean, clearly. So is it, but has he lost it at that point, do you think? I mean, it's seen... Because he never it, felt like he was totally out of control. But I think the thing with Mitrovic is he's a physically imposing guy. And I think that, like, with... I bet the ref... I don't know. Like, when he's running you, I imagine it's quite a terrifying thing. Sure. Sure. And the ref is backpedalling. But, yeah. Just really, really dumb. <laughs> Only going to have one outcome there. I mean, I guess he, he he's able, and he does, intimidate other players, and that's fair enough, right? If he'd squared up with another player like that, it's not like the touch on the shoulder was enough to send someone sprawling or anything like that. Who, who was it? Decanio and Olcock, wasn't it, years ago? Yeah. It wasn't quite that. I mean, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, that was that was one of those things where you, it's, where you just, it's impossible not to see both sides of it. You can't put your hands on the ref. And there will be ramif- there could be ramifications at levels of football if that kind of thing is seen going on and unpunished at professional well, level. Well, exactly, television. because all the players would just like they would and yet, go to intimidate a referee. Of course, they would. And yet, when Paolo Di Canio pushed Paul Lawcock over, it was not the least hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, yes, not that we'd like to advocate for violence, but that was thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, so so was Fulham completely losing themselves. Thoroughly entertaining. Bruno put the penalty away. There was a lot of uh, shenanigans around the penalty as well, like trying to scuff up the spot and pressurise the the player. Rashford was still on at that point, right? So is he now off penalties? So. I don't know. I mean, I guess they work it out between the two of them. I guess they yeah. Maybe they're taking turns or something. I can't remember who's taking they're the both most pretty good. this season. They're both, yeah. they're both pretty good. I expect either of them to score, but... They both miss them occasionally, as most players do. So, I, I, yeah, I have to say, I, 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 I look at that dead straight run up, short, dead straight, and doing the stutter as a like, oh my god, you look like a complete idiot if you screw that one up. But you're right in the corner, so good pen, 
good pen. And I then... think, yeah, he only seems to like he only seems to do the jump and that one. He, I don't think he does it when it's a really big pen. I think he takes them more normally usually if it's a real pressure penalty. And I think the rationale behind it is sound. That basically, if the keeper goes, then you just roll it into the empty yeah. net. And if he doesn't, by the time you've landed, it's too late because you yeah. can't move fast enough if you hit it. Yeah. So it's very hard to miss it. And also, he might go early because he thinks you... And then you get a retake. That's the rationale. Yeah. I still don't like it. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't like it. I look at it, I'm like, oh. Especially in a he's penalty a good, shootout. So. He's a good example of what we were saying earlier. The penalty that he scored 10 minutes after the final whistle at Brighton. There was none of that skip. He just went and drilled it in the top corner. Right. And I felt like if you could do that all the time. Why not just do that? Why not just do that? Yeah, exactly. Because if the keeper there went and stood in that corner, you could just, like, he'd literally have to stand in the corner to be able to save, to save it, even if he knew you were doing it every time. Yeah. Nice goal for the, the third one. Bruno's goal. When it didn't really matter anymore, but good finish. Yeah, he's he, he's, he's good. And he, he can play the position that he's playing more often now. He's playing a bit more of a midfield player than before. We're going to yeah, need him. Yeah, he, he did after the, next... the changes. He went to basically to eight, didn't he? So, I mean, a lot of flexibility. I mean, we had for a while Rashford up top, Veghorst at 10, Bruno at eight, which all was all... It's, it's very odd every time I see that. So, if you, if you ask me to build the profile of a perfect number 10, it'd be almost exactly opposite of what that's course is but still he he has got that's now two goals in 18 games for united which is about his standard <laughs> but i literally wrote this for a talking point in tomorrow's on to, on, the, on the guardian tomorrow and i've been kind of thinking i wrote that about vehicles just like i felt bad saying it. i don't think he's not good enough and i said exactly that two in 18 and you, you're not you know kind of send it forward if you're not threatening the goal and i see all the good things he does but I saw they sort of seem to be bare minimums. They are bare minimums. And, yeah. And are. I don't see, like, I don't know. I would, in a big game, I mean, it will never happen, but I think I'd be wanting a more fluid front three. For sure. I'd, like, I'd play Rashford up front and not him if I, it was a game I really wanted to win, I think. But yeah. I understand why he's there to try and help them win. And Ten Hag knows much more about football than we do. But yeah. You know, I'd I have been scoring goals with him in the team. So there's something about yeah. the the team scoring goals with him there, but it's when he's got a presentable chance and he scuffs one yet again, which was his, I think his one chance today on his left foot. It was basically a back pass. So, and, and for all he brings the team in a big game at some point, he's going to miss one of those and it might cost United. It's not just about the missing of the opportunities. It's just, I feel like opposition teams probably don't mind facing him. And they because drop, he but, does I mean, everything that... as well as well as it, it's okay. His his ability to help in the build up. He's all very slow as well. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, I guess, yeah. Maybe, maybe Rashford isn't able to play as, as effectively up front and to ten half standards. I mean, I guess he he again would be a better judge of that than us. But it just feels like a roving front three of something would be harder to yeah. defend because. There's just more movement. You more or less know where Veghorst is going to be, and it's not going to be in your penalty area scoring a goal. He's made 16 accurate passes today. I mean, that's one every four minutes or something. It doesn't feel like that's a player that's deeply involved in the game. A problem to fix, I guess. 
yeah, that's the thing. And it's not, I'm not really criticizing anyone for this. He's doing his best. He obviously loves being there. He's putting it in and I respect him for that because that's much easier said than done, as we all know, because we've all had jobs, even if it wasn't playing centre forward for Man United. And the player we needed or wanted or whatever wasn't available. And so we had to get something. It was him and we've been good with him in the team. But I'm not seeing loads that makes me think it would be worth keeping him. Yeah. So who's the about big horse on the Guardian football team then, Dan? No, no, no. Don't answer that one. <laughs> it's you. No. All right. I haven't got anything more to say about Fulham. Any any, any thoughts? I mean, I, I can't extrapolate from this have, anything other have than one... the team look knackered. So, yeah. I have, one final, I have one final thought that I thought it, and I, I, I don't actually want to particularly ruin anyone else's day with it. But at the same time, maybe we're all thinking it. But this is, in theory, our best season in a generation. This is the best United team since Fergie, right? The extent to which this season could still go wrong is absolutely monstrous. Yeah, yeah. It looks very, very tight. I mean, it's a, a loss and a draw in the Premier League away from, from Newcastle overtaking us. And what, two losses, two defeats from Tottenham. Although Conte is doing his very, very, very best to get fired and hopefully derail Spurs' season. But yeah, it's really tight in the Premier League. Well, it's not it's not the top four so much. I mean, I think in some ways that I think I think we'll make that happen. But it's more City are still in everything. Yep. And they've got basically a bye to the to the cup final. Yep, maybe against us. A game that could have been a difficult game coming after Bayern away is now Sheffield is now Sheffield United to to get to the cup final. Yeah. And you can make eight changes and, and still have a team that's way too strong for that. So yeah. Yeah. And what happens if they were to win the league, and that would be three in a row, everything else on the table and the possibility of doing United in one of the legs. Yeah. Never mind what's going on with us in the top four, but we could also botch the top four and botch the Europa if you that's <laughs> for that. Yeah, so yeah, that's how wrong it could go. Yes, the the scenario of City doing the treble and beating us in the FA Cup final, yeah, it's still there. It's yeah, not a pleasant thought, Daniel. You I had think to put that in I our heads. Like, I don't feel like City have got a lot of room for maneuver in the league. They don't. I mean, and it's eight points to... with a game in hand, so yeah. They don't have any room for manoeuvre. They still play I mean, Arsenal I, again, though, don't they? Yeah, Arsenal have to make sure that they can afford to lose that game because they probably will. I would say if Arsenal if Arsenal need anything out of that game, I think that I think it's going the wrong way. Yeah, but I mean, in the league, United don't have. I mean, there's the Chelsea game, which is going to get moved now because it's on the weekend. I mean, not that Chelsea are any good at the moment, but you look at that way, it's Stamford Bridge, isn't it? So I may be totally wrong about that. I think it is. That one's getting moved because the cup semi-final that's going to go in a, a midweek somewhere, which there won't be a midweek if United are in the Europa League final. So it may well be one of those weeks where it's like a Tuesday-Thursday situation, which would not be good at all. Thankfully, I mean, City... we didn't get a, a replay in this game today because that would have been a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, City are going to have to win a lot of games in a row. Are we into this backers content? Were we, were we going to be doing this for backers content? No, Just, no, we're talking about, we, I think for backers content, we're going to talk Europe and uh, yeah, we might as well okay. put anything, everything in context now. Okay, so City, City are going to need to win a lot of games, almost like from here, they're going to need to win almost all the, almost every game to do, win everything in not a very long period of time. And I don't know, I don't think they're as good as teams, City teams, 
that haven't been able to clearly do that. not yeah and they don't seem to be able to create that consistency but they do have Harlands and they are playing well now so yeah. i don't i don't think i don't think the worst will happen <laughs> i haven't forgotten that the worst could happen yeah so United played Brighton in the in the semi final. It's going to be the Sunday, the twenty third, after United have played Sevilla in that away game. We could really do with a nice, handsome victory in the home game to make the the away leg just a little in, less intense. I mean, it's not a good Sevilla side. It's a decent draw for United. I know they did us last time we played them, and they seem to have a. They seem to. I mean, what they won? They've won Europa five times in the last twenty years, something like that. It's an incredible record, but they're not a good team. This sh- I mean, of all the Spanish teams we've played this season, they're the least good. Yeah, I don't... There aren't any teams left in the draw that are better than United. Yeah, for sure. It was, Arsenal a one-off game, Arsenal over two legs are the, the team you're looking at worrying about. Everyone else in that draw, Sevilla, Juve, not the teams they once were. I mean, Juve w- would still be like 15 points behind Napoli if they hadn't had that a huge points deduction so like decent team not great team so united are the best team left in that draw should should win the europa from here but it's it, the back to back games are definitely where you go wrong i do look at that brighton semi final and worry about that one cuz they're going to be knackered <laughs> they'll get back at like 3 in the morning on the friday morning they'll have one one session on the friday which will be a recovery session that'd be it yeah, and Brighton are good. I, and Brighton are good. Yeah, I mean, I actually watched Brighton today for work, and yeah, I mean, you can't really decide what they are after that one game, but we know we know that they're good. You and Fer- Evan Ferguson looks a really good player. Looks a really good player. Yeah, very, yeah. very, com- very complete for some player of his age. Yeah, lovely. Actually, oh, great. One of his goals today was really good. Yeah, I went to Arsenal actually for work the other day, the other night. And there was that delicious moment when I can't remember who, who scored first sporting, but where Ramsdale realizes that he's not getting it because he yeah. thinks he's read it and he just performs. It's the moment of like peak athleticism as he's doing yeah. something improbable to try and claw the ball. And I'm doing this as we're talking with my hand, try and claw the ball out from behind him. And he can't. Finally, he is the heir to David Seaman. So, well, Seaman <laughs> got lobbed twice, didn't he? That one in the cup final, Naeem, yeah, and then Naeem, uh, the against Ronaldinho in the World Cup as well. So, maybe Ramsdale's got one more to go to really catch up with that special, special trophy. Yeah, that was fun. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about some of the European stuff for the backers content, but it's... Uh, anyway, Brighton Brighton are good. It's going to be... A, that'll be a tough game. They use the ball really well. I think Deserbi is has taken them on, if if that's fair to say. By the, by well, the way, we can... Goals. They're scoring goals as well, yeah. But I think, but they've got a striker now that Potter didn't really that Potter didn't really have. But Potter's Chelsea struggled to score goals. Yeah, we could of course play the Brighton uh, Network Club because they've got a, a Tony Bloom who owns Brighton, also owns Union Saint Galois, who beat Union Berlin this week. They're still in Europa. That's uh, kind of interesting. It's a slightly different topic, but we aren't half moving towards like networks of clubs, multi's multi-club model, all playing each other. And I don't know whether you saw some of the Seferin's interview this week where he was basically talking about... I mean, the, the what, it may be his English, not perfect, but he basically said, well, the, the owners of these multi-club networks want the rules to change. 
And so we'll have to go look at it. Which I thought was a really weird way of framing that whole argument. Because right now in the UEFA regs, it says it's about the the integrity of competition. So what has changed? Is it no longer a challenge to the integrity of competition? It's a challenge to the integrity of money, I guess, and power. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it. And that's that's where it's largely always been. And it's it just feels much more naked now. Yeah. And every time the clubs put pressure on UEFA, the they cave, basically, because the nuclear button is always there of Super League. Time was hell on that one. That, well, the that. problem, yeah, is, 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 as we always said, there's just, you need proper regulation. Football's a massive global business and it's sort of unregulated. At least there's nothing that can just deal with all of it. Yeah, there, there isn't. Someone needs to regulate FIFA. FIFA, unfortunately, is there as a mafioso organization to enrich enrich its leaders, or at least it behaves like that. So on the on the takeover stuff, I, I guess we, we talked a bit in the midweek pod about that, but We've we saw both parties now. The Qataris turn up with their delegation on Thursday, and then Ratcliffe and his his co-owners at Ineos plus their representatives turn up on Friday. I don't know what to make of the fact that the Ratcliffe meeting was so much shorter. Do we care about that? Does it mean anything? I don't think so. Really, it, it but, feels uh, it feels like this isn't going to Ratcliffe, doesn't it? though well it's it's hard to say i mean if the qataris, I mean, I just make, the qataris I have no shortage of money right and it is a state bid whether we like to pretend otherwise so right so yeah. are you right just that that it just on, on that basis how is jim, is jim Ratcliffe? how if they decided they want it how is jim radcliffe outbid, outbidding them it just seems it seems unlikely i don't know it seems it seems very unlikely yeah but Maybe the Glazers' parting gift to United will be to a uh, to a greenwasher rather than a sports washer. So I I don't know whether you saw some of the uh, there was a, a few reports out in midweek. I think I think I might have talked about it on the last pod actually, but about Qatar pulling out of the international labour union. And two days after the World Cup final, which was just incredibly brazen, they're like, okay, our PR piece is done now, so we can go back to being yeah. What we were, so and 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 then again, I think this came after we recorded the pod. There were a bunch of people at Carrington this week with big signs saying "Glazers out, Qatar in." It just seems such a strange place to be in a in a yeah box junction, a very very strange <laughs> yeah. place to be. Outrageous! What twenty five yeah. pound fine for that or more? What is it now? <laughs> yeah, I mean it was yeah taking a day for that. I don't know. I, I I just don't. I mean, look, I, I, people are desperate for success, but Ten Hag is proving that you can get it in just the normal way with United's current wealth. With, so yeah, with, with Ten Hag, we could probably win everything with the Glazers because we've done it before, and we're not that far off. Like moderate spending, not moderate yeah. spending, but I mean. Two players this summer would take us quite close to the best teams if we continue improving. Of course, of course it would. And in fact, with the UEFA regs coming in, United's revenue, I mean, although it slipped back because of poor on the pitch and off the pitch performance, if if it if Ten Hag is the real deal and he seems like it, United's revenue would grow again and they, 
we, we would be, if not the largest revenue generating club in Europe, then close to it. But yeah, but you don't, you don't need state wealth. But unfortunately, some people see that as the, the fast route to victory. I just don't know what it means when you're a tool of foreign policy for a state. So. No, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I have obviously been thinking about what I might do in that situation. Like, what's like? I, I mean, in, in, in the back of my mind, I've had a conversation with myself for years about would I start going to Old Trafford again? And I guess I, part of me wondered if I, I guess wondered what my, what my talking about wondered assumed I would have kids that would that would might might drive me there because I wouldn't deprive themselves them of them of Old Trafford because of a decision yeah. that I made in 2005 or whatever. That didn't happen. So now I've been having it with myself because I'm thinking what actually the only, the only suffering that's going on is me. And it felt like, am I just never going to go to Old Trafford again for the rest of my life because of that? I mean, maybe, but I've sort of been tossing it around in my head anyhow. And now I guess I'm thinking about it more because of, the possibility of us being sold to people who I don't want us being sold to, who I actually, who, 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 I, who I would consider to be worse than the Glazers. Right. Right. And then do you think, right, well, now I'm never going to go and see United ever again for, for like similar reasons, or I don't, I, I don't, and I, I don't know. I don't know what the answers to this, to this are for myself. Or I don't know. I'm sure there'll be other people that are having some, that kind of conversation too, or will it make me want them to win less or, watch them play on the television, let's all talk about it. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel if that happens. Yeah, uh, I, don't I don't know. And I almost think it's it's not the first question. The, the first question is about what does it really mean when you're supporting a, a thing that is not a sporting institution? Because the, the point of the Qatari state owning United is, as we've talked about, it's influence, it's power, it's manipulation, it's public relations, it's hard power, it's soft power, it's networks, it's diversification, it's it's all it's all these things. And sporting success is a an enabler of those, not the primary motive. I mean, if the primary motive of United right now is to make money for the Glazers, which I would say is definitely not good, right? The primary motive of United under Qatari ownership would be to the glorification of Qatar, the regime and their their need for soft and hard power and the successes are kind of it's something else right it's not it's not about the sporting success first right so then because then it's the question is what do, what does it mean to support united and because you yeah. always the, the united is a set of values and print and feelings and friendships and families and all the rest of it that will never be something you can exactly buy. But you can obviously buy the receptacle for all of it. Then what? Because obviously this, it's still the thing that it is, except it also isn't. And it's impossible for me not to fear the way about that and then not to have to think about what you're going to do thereafter. Because and if you compartmentalise, so right now we all do... Some... You're, not, you're not City anymore. I mean, I sung yeah, that. Well, that's, that's right. So we right now, with the Glazers owning the club, very few of us think this is good for Manchester United. The, the, over the years, the few weirdos who thought it was it was good to start with or made those insane arguments about it just being business or whatever, they, they've disappeared. But we all compartmentalise because we watch the team on the pitch. 
even though we don't like the owners. It, it becomes very, very different when the owners are using United as a tool, right? And if you compartmentalize there, you're just lying to yourself. And that's that's the thing that makes it so hard. But we'll see. It's not done yet. And but, like, like there's all these, the option of Qatar, Ratcliffe, some kind of Elliott-funded quasi-debt, Glazer, Glazer, Gimps staying on, or nothing. And United just slowly sort of slowly falling behind because the business model doesn't stack up anymore. All these things are still possible. <laughs> Great. And City might be in the trouble. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> yeah. Well, at least the crypto bros aren't going to be successful. Oh, dear. All right. Maybe we should call it a day there. Please.